Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Zach Cordell, a registered dietitian, professor, podcast host of the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist, and a brand new author. There are dietitians who are passionate about nutrition, and then there's Zach Cordell. This conversation with Zach was very special because he is very special. Zach has always had a passion for teaching and comes from a long line of teachers, including his wife. During his work as a missionary, he realized through the personal connections made along the way how important food, nutrition, and health is, and decided to teach by becoming a registered dietitian. I hope you take the time to listen to this great conversation and listen to Zach's podcast, The Latter-day Saint Nutritionist, because of the uniqueness of educating others on nutrition. Please enjoy my conversation with Zach. I'm excited to get to know a lot more about you just because I stalk you on social media and just trying <laughs> to listen to your podcast and I kind of just want to get to know more about you, how you got started. And just where where did everything begin for Zach? Okay, so let's let's start this. I was born in no, I'm just kidding. Um, so I'm I'm born <laughs> and raised from North Carolina. <laughs> um, I went from I started my undergrad at Brigham Young University in Idaho, and then I transferred back to the University of North Carolina in Greensboro, which is where I met my wife. Um, we've been married for seven years. Come December. And have identical twin girls that are over a year, and they're pretty awesome. They, um, they're adorable. Adorable. I, I would have to agree. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty cool. Um, but I did my undergrad in human nutrition and dietetics, and then I did my master's in community nutrition from the University of Massachusetts. And then from there, I did my internship at Yale New Haven Hospital in New Haven, Connecticut. So my wife and I have basically lived... Um, We've moved eight times in seven years, but we just bought a house, so we're staying. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. So, <laughs> currently, I'm a nutrition professor at Daytona State College, uh, which I, I love. It's so much fun to be able to teach the students. And when, our, when I talk to other dietitians and they wonder if I miss the clinical world, and even other academics that are not dietitians are like, wait, I mean, you were in a hospital working with people that had necrotizing fasciitis that was a skin eating disorder. And you're, why would you want to teach? And honestly, teaching gives me the opportunity to talk to somebody two times a week for four months and really give them a basis in nutrition rather than trying to chase after them for like every couple of weeks to make sure that they're coming back or having to deal with, um, the insurance side of things. Not that I did. I don't think those are worth it. I completely think that everybody has their place, but I just love being able to be with these students at a place where they're leaving their home, making their own food choices and getting ready to kind of decide who they are going to be in terms of health. So hopefully whenever they get to you guys, they have a better understanding of what nutrition is rather than just wanting to drink apple cider vinegar. <laughs> all those fat those fads that they hear about so was was teaching always on your radar was it always something that you kind of aspired to do 
Um, so I come from a family of teachers. My mother's a teacher. Uh, she teaches middle school. My sister was a teacher. She taught uh, theater in both middle and high school. And so it's just kind of like, and my wife's a teacher. My sister-in-law's a teacher. So we're all teachers. Um, yes. But I didn't know that I wanted to teach until I was actually a missionary. And as a missionary, you get the opportunity to sit down with people and kind of just like talk about everything. And as a missionary, you talk about really personal stuff in terms of religion, right? And Mm -hmm. that kind of bleeds into nutrition in terms of sometimes people view food as a religion. It's becoming more and more so um, a belief system. And you can look at it in like vegan and, and vegetarian worlds where it's like this is, I believe that you should treat animals this way. I believe that we should treat the world this way. Um, and so again, it's, it's about having those personal conversations with people that sometimes they don't have anywhere else. Interesting. So that's how I got into teaching. That's how you got. So you did do clinical though, for a short period of time with your internship or out of your internship. Yeah. I just did it as an internship and and I'm going to be honest with you, Anne. I knew that I was not a clinical person, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to have clinical experience, and that's why I went to Yale New Haven Hospital, was so that I could get those clinical, that clinical experience um, rather than going to a more community-based internship and having the clinical side of it be an afterthought. At, at Yale New Haven Hospital, it was very much a clinical-based internship. Sure. Yeah. That's a really good idea, though. Like, if you kind of know that maybe you're not such a clinical person and maybe that's not where your career is going to be, but to get that experience, that's very smart on your part. Thank you. No, I and I just knew, I mean, I had had family members that were in the hospital a lot. I know the hospital smell, you know, and uh, yes. and, <laughs> and I know that I want to be able to sit down and, and talk with somebody. And as a clinical dietitian, it's very difficult to spend more than five minutes with somebody because you got a list of 15 mm-hmm. other people you got to go see that day. Sure, sure. So I knew I was going to do outpatient or education, but I wanted the clinical just, option. You wanted that experience. So you had that yeah. background. So then did you basically then went directly into teaching pretty much right when you were done with your internship. Yeah. No, I actually um, had to cut my internship a couple days short because the faculty days were starting. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, so I had to work it out with my internship director to say, look, I understand you need me here. And I didn't take any personal days or sick days. And so it made it possible for me to be able to leave those couple days early so I could come down for new faculty. Well, not faculty training, but like the, the faculty week before school starts to get everything in order for your classes. Sure. Wow. That's how could they tell you? No, no, that would be awful. They'd have been like, no, you can't do that. (laughs) Sorry. We don't want you to have a job after the internship. (laughs) So you have to stay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that, and I don't know if it's this way in a lot of places, but during my internship, I was an older intern. I was married. um, And so I wasn't messing around in terms of thinking maybe I'll take a gap year Maybe I'll wait for like the dream position because I want to be in a very specific subset of clinical nutrition or whatever it is. And so I was like putting resumes and applications out in February, March, and my internship didn't end until August. 
Oh, you were proactive. So <laughs> I was very much like, okay, it's I gotta support my family, <laughs> and um, sure. like it's not an option to just take a break for a while and wait for the right job. Which mm-hmm. I was very lucky because I love my job. So this has been the job since day one. Yeah. Wow. See, that's impressive that you, you know, most, a lot of people have had two or three jobs since internship and you have found, you really have found one that you loved. Oh, I genuinely, yeah, I come in and I think about all the time where people, I don't know if you know about the Sunday scaries. Mm-mm. So the Sunday scaries are like every Sunday night, you're like, oh no, Monday's coming tomorrow. And so you're worried about going to work. And I've never had that because I love my job. That is wonderful. Sunday scaries. I'm going to, I'm, I've never, (laughs) I guess I've never really experienced those either, but that's an interesting concept. I I like that analogy because that is awful. That's an awful feeling if people are experiencing that and you don't at all. Right. And I actually use that in my class to talk about cheat days. Um, if you're okay with me taking a minute to share this analogy. Absolutely. So I kind of view cheat days as like the weekend where if you don't like your job, you go back to work on Monday because you have to, because you need money and you got to pay rent and you got to pay your other bills. But if you have a cheat day and on the weekend you get to eat whatever you want, eventually Monday is going to come and you don't want to have to go back to eating your diet. And so that cheat day turns into a cheat week in the cheap month because you don't have to pay any health bills yet. And so that's kind of the way that I view cheat days. And I talk to my students about it because they're all like, well, but on the weekends I eat whatever I want. I'm like, well, why don't you eat whatever you want all the time? All the time. Yeah. And just make it a healthy option. That's yeah. I, I wish people would embrace that. I think that's great that you're talking to students about that at this point, because then they don't end up like adults thinking and repeating that same process every weekend. Yeah. Well, and, it, and with the New Year's, that's especially what's coming up, right? Like, oh, this sure. is the year. Gotta have the new year, <laughs> the new me. <laughs> Drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Why not start right now? <laughs> well, and that's, a- <clears throat> yeah, that's exactly what it should be. Right. I have a friend that says that all the time. I'll be, I, I even, I catch myself doing it. I'll be like, Oh, on Monday, I'm going to do this. And he's like, well, why don't you just do it today? <laughs> like, well, and a lot of the problem uh, that, ru- that I run into whenever people set those goals is they, they view themselves now as the enemy, right? Hmm. Rather than being yeah. the solution. And I understand they're like, I have bad behaviors. I got to change my behaviors. It's like, right. But you also have a lot of really good behaviors that have helped you to succeed in other areas of your life. So why don't we use the skills that you have now and the success that you've had up to this point to be able to make it so that you can make good changes. Mm. That's a great point. Like talking about, you're right. People forget about all the good behaviors and all the great things they've done because they think of it trumps all the things that they think are not good. Trumps those great behaviors. Well, and as a dietitian, you go in and I don't know if you've had this experience where people come to you and they're like, okay, I will change anything, but I'm not giving up chocolate milk. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, and you're like, but I, do I have to give up chocolate milk? <laughs> and like, that's the sole thing they're focused on. And, and in my mind, I'm like, if chocolate milk is the thing that makes you happy, we can keep chocolate milk. There are plenty of other changes that we can use and make you a healthier individual than just robbing you of the joy of chocolate milk. 
So true. But that people just so fixate true. on that thing. They do. And they think you're going to be the food police. Like they're going to come in and talk to you and you're going to say, okay, this is what you got to take out of your life. Check, check, right. check. And that's not true. Yeah. And I like how you said, if it brings you joy, because that is what people need to think more about. Like, does it bring you joy? Does it make you happy? Does it make you feel good? All those things correlate, should be correlated with food first. Right now. And now if you have to take the step back, right. If that is your only source of joy, then maybe we try and yeah. look at some other things too. But yeah, I mean like <laughs> you should be able to enjoy your food because there's so many people that will go on diets and they'll diet and they'll lose a lot of weight. And they're like, sweet. Now I can go back to eating what I want. Mm-hmm. And because they don't like the food that they're eating, they're just using it to get to the end goal. Whereas if you like the food that you eat, you'll keep eating. And you'll just adapt that lifestyle forever. Right. Because that's who you are. And mm-hmm. now that's the now you. That's very true. Very true. And that's and even like I'm thinking personally, you know, we all have our own personal struggles too. I'm sure you do as well. But sure. just like remembering that when you're in the moment of having those like discussions with yourself in your head. Yeah, no, because I mean, everybody has that conversation. And I think that a lot of people look at dietitians. They're like, well, you have the magic pill. You know mm-hmm. of some mangosteen supplement that you use. <laughs> and that's what makes you healthy. And it's not. They probably do. They probably think we get some black market type of like, like miracle cure to keep us the healthiest humans on the planet. Right. And, and the bottom line is you're a person. And what, what you do to obtain health might be different for me because you love kale and I don't. Right. You know, I, I mean, I'm just saying, I don't know if you love kale. You might. No, That's okay. I don't. <laughs> I don't at all. But, but when, when, when clients have the mentality of kale is health and you have to eat kale, but I hate kale, mm-hmm. then they equate, I can't be healthy because I don't eat kale. Mm-hmm. That's kind of true. It's like that simple math equation that they're picturing in their head. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I kind of want to go back just because I thought it was very interesting when you talked about when you went on a mission and you were having these conversations about nutrition with, with people. So was that kind of when you got more interested in nutrition or when did you feel that you had this connection with nutrition that you wanted to be a dietitian? Yeah. So, okay. This is kind of a, I mean, it might be a pretty similar story to a lot of dietitians, but um, when I went on a mission, I learned that I liked teaching. And I liked interacting with people and that's what I wanted to do. I didn't really know where I wanted to use those skills and how I wanted to interact with individuals. But I came, I came home from being a missionary. And at that time, my dad had uh, kidney failure, was on renal dialysis. And I had no idea what that meant or what that was. And so I took a nutrition class just because it was going to fill my gen eds. And I originally thought that I was going to be a, a triathlete trainer. And as I took the nutrition class, I thought, you know, and nothing against triathlete trainers, but I thought I can do more good in the world than just train people that want to ride bikes. And I love bikes. Like my wife would say, I love them a little too much. Um, <laughs> you ride one to work every day. <laughs> well, most days. Yeah, most I can. Days, yes. Right. And so, and so it's just, I thought that there was smaller things that people could do that would make a longer lasting impact. And I could cast a bigger net with nutrition than I could talking to just triathletes. And so seeing my dad going through a lot of health changes 
um, really kind of fueled that fire of there's a lot of simple things that you can do now that will prevent a lot of issues later in life. And going from the diabetic, so my dad was type 2 diabetic, um, went into kidney failure and had dialysis and everything. And going from a diabetic diet, and if you're not following a diabetic diet, moving to a renal diet, that's mm. nearly impossible. Yeah. But even hard. for a dietitian, it's very difficult to be able to follow a renal diet just because it's so specific. Mm-hmm. And so watching that happen and thinking, if we had made changes earlier, it would have been a lot easier to manage those things. And so that's kind of where I got into it. And when I started in nutrition, I didn't want to do renal because that's sure. a very personal place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked the cultural side of it because everybody is influenced by what is going on around them. Whether it's going to be that you are growing up in the South or you grow up in California or you grow up being raised by vegan parents or you grow up eating like meat and potatoes on every day and you're in the clean plate club from birth. <laughs> That's right? true. So, and, it, and most people think of culture in terms of I um, am African-American or I'm Caucasian and that's my culture. But there's so much more that goes into influencing what you do beyond just skin tone. That's and that is and that's very true. I mean, I'm sure I think I liked your analogy of, you know, if you're raised vegan, you're not going to know any different. And if you're raised meat and potatoes, you're not going to know any different. So it is more about experiences, probably. And just how things are done on a day to day has nothing to do with your skin color. That's so true. Interesting. So, yes, you have a very very personal connection to nutrition and you probably had lots of aha moments of, Oh man, I wish I could have helped my dad a little bit earlier in my life. Right. Well, and even then, and I have this conversation with my students because my dad passed away five years ago. Um, and so I tell my students because they all come in and they say, I wish my grandpa knew this. Or I even had one student say that she would go shopping with her grandfather who had just had a stroke and would not let him buy anything that he wants because of the salt, etc. <laughs> Really, and I, and I was like, "Did he want you to do that?" Like, <laughs> like he's he's a grown man; he can mm-hmm. make personal choices. But it's very difficult to be a child of someone that is making poor choices or that has health situations that you think you can better control if they would just do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And so I tell my students, "I'm like, you are not responsible for to be their medical professional. Like, you're not their doctor." You're not their dietitian. You're their kid. And if they want help, you can give it to them. But that was a very hard realization that I had to come to was that I had this knowledge and my dad would like talk the talk about wanting to know things, but he didn't really, he wasn't interested in changing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay. I mean, like that's his personal choice, right? Um, he was an amazing man and I, I love him for all the things that he's done for me. Um, but in that area, that was where he struggled. Mm-hmm. That's kind of in that, in that, I think, I don't know about you, like thinking of, I think family and friends, that's where I never, ever cross that line with, right? because I think that's the most difficult gray area for us as professionals. Well, let me just take this a little bit further. So my wife is type one diabetic. Oh, really? 
and everyone finds out that she's diabetic and I'm a dietitian. They're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you guys are a match made in heaven. <laughs> what? Like, it's just perfect because you can like make sure that she's okay. And I'm like, no, I'm not her dietitian. I'm her husband. Mm-hmm. And yes, I will help with anything and everything that she would like help with. But at the end of the day, like I'm not sitting down and counseling her on her diabetes. They probably think you are. They probably think they you, do. you sit at dinner and say, okay, <laughs> this is how many carbs are in this. <laughs> Let's carb count on this. Are yeah. we going to use net carbs? Are we going to use total carbs? What would we like to do? And, and it's not like my wife, she'll have the conversation with people and say, he doesn't force anything on me. And they can't believe that. Like they genuinely do not believe that I'm not dictating what she eats because again, whenever someone else is interested in nutrition that maybe isn't a health professional, they, they very much think that they're going to control everything about everyone else. Sure. You can't have chips because those are going to cause obesity. You can't have like bacon because that's going to cause heart disease. And like my wife and I have a very healthy relationship with food in terms of food is food and it's meant to be enjoyed, but at the same time, it's meant to help us to be as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. And to that's a kind of great atmosphere because you have two daughters now too. And that's right. Very important to start that out at a young age. Yeah. And we talk about body image in my class all the time and how the way that you view yourself often will influence how you're going to behave. <laughs> I use the example of the Walmart outfit. <laughs> and I, So if, if I say Walmart outfit, what do you think? Oh, I, I have like a whole like flannel. I have leggings. <laughs> I have very short shorts in mind, lots of different things. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I, I joke with them. I'm like, you're going to behave different in your Walmart outfit than you are going to hang out in your Friday night date outfit. <laughs> right. Great. Yes. And some people are like, well, I don't know. Sometimes it's the same outfit. I'm like, yeah, depending on how long you've been dating this person, it might be the same. <laughs> but how you see yourself influences how you behave. And so, yes, I hope to instill in my daughters that they're enough, whether or not they're in a underweight BMI, a normal weight BMI, an overweight BMI or an obese, like they are like a a person that is worth whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I think that's great that you're teaching that in your classes. Cause I, I guess I would never think, because what, what, so maybe tell me what classes you teach. Like what's the title of your classes that you teach? So here's the fun thing is I teach human nutrition, the intro to human nutrition. Okay. And I teach, I teach a lot of sections of it. Um, so I'm at a junior college, uh, but we have sports and we have a four year program, but a lot of our students are going through and just getting an associates that are going to plan on transferring to a four year school. Okay. And so at the beginning of every semester, I get to ask my students, what do you want to know about nutrition so that I can tailor my message to what it is that they're looking for? And obviously, we're going to cover the basics of the macronutrients, the micronutrients, uh, the importance of hydration and sports nutrition. But if I know that they want to know about how to understand media and how to understand reliable sources, I can tailor my course to that. And so it... Like I have what I want to talk about, but there's so many, I have a lot of freedom to really discuss. Yeah. So what kind of, when you ask them, what kind of answers, I mean, is there some common themes that you get from your students of what they want or has anything surprised you? 
So there's always, and it's funny because no one brings it up until I say, and who wants to know about weight loss or weight gain? And then like some people will raise their hands and I'll say, yeah, you two will never understand each other. And that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so we have like the weight loss and weight gain are big ones. And then there's every, every time there's a new trend. So whether it's keto or the gluten-free or organic, non-organic GMOs, there's always the one person that's like seen every health documentary and really wants to talk about Monsanto. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so we'll talk about a bunch of those things. Um, but just today in class, we were talking about advertising and food advertising and how brown and green are the colors of organic. Because that is what is going to make you think of like earthy stuff that is healthy for you. And then, then I showed him a video on um, Chipotle one of their commercials that is an advertisement about how big food systems are not the healthiest for you. And the whole time they're just engrossed. And at the very end, it shows the Chipotle symbol and they're all, there's a collective groan of what really? (laughs) And just about how food advertising makes you think certain things that may or may not be true that like calorie wise, health wise, they, they might say one thing that leads you to think one thing, but doesn't really back that up nutrition. Mm-hmm. But they're not lying to you. Yeah, no. It's just perception. I want to take your class. <laughs> you should. It would be awesome. I would love that. I know I would learn so much from you. Just, just from the different way that you... It sounds like you just take it from a very realistic approach to make it applicable to what these kids need in their lives and adults yeah. probably too. Yeah. So sometimes I like to think of myself as the dieter's guide to the food universe. <laughs> that sounds like a movie, <laughs> right? Well, there is like the hitchhiker's, hit, yeah. hitchhiker's guide. Yeah. But like, it's just funny because so many people think they understand nutrition until you really start to talk about it and they understand what they've been taught rather than critically thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Which you're getting so, at them at a really good point in their lives to really critically think about nutrition. Yeah, and that's the hope. Yeah, that's awesome. How many sections do you teach? Are you full, like full-time? Are you teaching all day? Or what does that kind of look like for you for your schedule? Yeah, so um, full-time for me would be teaching five. And this semester, I'm teaching seven. Next semester, I'll be teaching eight. So they, so they fill up. yeah. You're like the popular professor on campus. Um, I don't know. Like we have three full-time nutrition professors here on campus and um, they all fill up because wow. it's just a, it's a fun class. People. Uh, okay. So a couple things. It's a fun class. They think it's going to be an easy science course mm-hmm. rather than taking anatomy or physiology. Sure. Um, and so it can be an easy science fulfillment for them. But then a lot of people realize They'll look at it and say, this is something that I can think about for the rest of my life. Whereas they'll look at something like a um, art appreciation from 1600 to 1890. And you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> but everybody eats, yes. right? And they all have the preconceived notion that they're, they're like, I know what I should be doing. But they, they want to know more. Mm-hmm. So I have a corner on the market of like interest and required. <laughs> to be able to get both of them. <laughs> so when you think I maybe you can share too with um 
my listeners about being a professor and like you say, okay, I teach six classes or I teach seven classes, but that's not, you're doing a whole bunch of other things outside of just teaching classes. Sure. So maybe kind of take me through a week or a day or what it kind of looks like for you when it comes to like prepping and creating tests and, you know, just things that you have to do as a professor. Yeah. So there's always the prep that goes into it to make sure that your information is still accurate and up to date. So you're following up with the information that is current, but at the same time, making sure that it is verified and isn't just like the one study deal, right? So Mm -hmm. you have to make sure that this is the most current information, but the most applicable. So for instance, whenever the American Heart Association changed their cutoff for hypertension. Mm -hmm. So you have to like balance that information. um, But then also know that some students are going to come in and say, I read this study that you should eat chocolate cake for breakfast and it helps you to lose weight. (laughs) And so you have to be aware of like both sides of it. And then students will sometimes say things in class where you're like, I had not heard that. Send me the link or send me what you have heard and I will look into it as well. And then we can come back and discuss it. And so you're always like reviewing information, but at the same time, depending on which university or college you're at, you may be required to do research or have other academic um, requirements that are going to be there for you. So I don't work at a research institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, a lot of it is student support or providing um, scholarly activities at other locations that may not be peer reviewed research. Oh. So for instance, I, I have presented at the local Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics um, district. And then I've presented at other academic conferences, both through my own college and other private um, small institutions that are around us. So Stetson University is another school that I've presented at. And then actually this weekend, I'll be presenting for the Faculty Resource Network Consortium or Symposium that's happening in Orlando. And those are all things that are going to be helpful in, in allowing me to obtain tenure and make sure that I'm still out in the, the world providing benefit to other people. Okay. So it's, so it's not just I come in, I teach my classes, I have my office hours, and I go home. But there's those other conferences that I reach out to. I have a podcast that I host um, that is nutrition education that can be used to make sure that people know that I'm pro- continuing to reach out into the community to serve them. And then also I'm writing books that pertain to nutrition that are, again, scholarly activities. So I have a lot of freedom to make decisions on how I want to impact my field of nutrition. But um, again, there's a lot of responsibility that I have to assume on my own because I want to do these things. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, to get tenure and to keep expanding your knowledge and supporting the field. Right. So they want to know that you're serving in your profession, that you're an active part of your profession and expanding the knowledge of the profession. So those are the types of things that, that we're expected to do. But honestly, like I'm the kind of person that wants some structure, but then I want to be set free. Like I want to be able to do what I find interesting. Um, and, and it really explore that and kind of push our field just a little bit further. So 
for instance, um, the presentation that I'll be doing or the poster presentation I'll be doing at the Faculty Resource Network with New York University is a poster on our our own weight bias in terms of how we approach our students hmm. and and how they see themselves in careers going forward. So you can look at you can do like a quick Google search of doctors and they're all going to be pretty normal weight. And if you search for men, then it's going to be like, they're going to be Caucasian and they're going to be Indian. And if you search for women, then it might be a little bit more diverse, but again, they're all going to have the same body type. And then if you think about it in terms of like a dietitian, the weight bias for a dietitian, or even the cultural bias for a dietitian is that you're going to be a white woman that is normal weight or underweight. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Right. And so being, being a male, that's a dietitian or being someone of color, that's a dietitian. It's, it's a different field for people of different backgrounds. And so how do educators approach people in that scenario to help them see that they can find a place in that career, even though they might not have a lot of examples of people that look like them. Very interesting. How did you get interested in that? Um, I like the, I, I, I like the body positivity movement mm-hmm. as long as it's not weaponized um, in terms of like you are shaming people that are not yes. overweight. Um, I feel like a lot of times it can turn into skinny shaming because you're like, well, big is beautiful. <laughs> I'm sorry that you aren't as beautiful aren't. and big as me. <laughs> and it's like, well, like that you can't just shame people that don't have curves and right. only approve of people that do have curves. So I like the body, body positivity and health at every size when it means health at every size, not just every size. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in, in approaching those things from an academic standpoint, what do we do as professors, whether it's the images that we use or the conversations that we hold? Sure. Because in academia, there's a big push to make sure that your the images that you use, the examples that you use, the names that you use are culturally appropriate and sensitive and diverse. But whenever we think of diversity and culture, again, we're only thinking of ethnic diversity. Yes. Yeah. Or ethnic culture. When it's a whole slew of other things. Right. Because we'll, we'll tell people, especially like in nutrition, we're like, yeah, maybe you should pick up running or maybe you could do things where you like yogurt. But there are certain people that like cultures that don't eat yogurt and cultures that don't like running. Yeah. Because running to them is a joke. Like you only run if you're in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and it's that's like, that's true. not that, that's not what it is. And there's so many different ways that you can approach health. Um, like the Native American Native American tribes will start like powwow health seminars where they'll do dancing as part of the healthy behaviors that they have. Which makes sense because it is a healthy activity. And in in our heads, we don't think of that. That's not what the more standard people think of when it comes to exercise or health. Right. It's about a gym membership. Yes. And running like a gerbil on a treadmill. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And if that's what you want to do, great, that's fine. But if you would rather do Chinese pole climbing, go for it. Right. Like there are so many options out there for you to be physically active that don't involve you throwing a tire around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that you can find something that you really enjoy. Right. 
Because again, if you like it, you'll keep doing it. You'll do it. Exactly. Just like the food. Right. You'll just keep doing it. Oh, that's so yeah. interesting. I love that you're you're out seeking those opportunities and have the ability to go out and seek those opportunities with in your profession and that your school supports you and wants you to do those things. Yeah. No, I'm really blessed. And so segue into the podcast and the book, which you did mention outside of your presenting. Is that something that your school also supports or is that something that you do on your own just to help to keep advancing your profession? Um, it's kind of both. Both. Uh, because it is still reaching out into the community and doing education. Um, it is still showing academic um, or scholarly activities. But at the same time, it is something that I'm interested in. And because I am in academia, I have the freedom to pursue what it is that interests me. And so my podcast is the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist. And it's focused on fusing food, faith, and science, where you provide the, like, what is really going on in terms of digestion? Can I put something on my belly button and it's going to be absorbed and go to my stomach? Um, or like what is really happening in terms of digestion and does alkaline water matter or do I need to do a detox? But it goes beyond that in terms of what is the culture that you have experienced because of the faith that you have? Are you in a culture where there's a lot of people in your family and as a result, money might be tight and food choices might be limited. Which and this, so that's your most recent podcast. I haven't got to listen to it yet, but that's your most recent episode that you released. Right. Yeah. So it comes out uh, about once a month and I do a couple of interviews. This next um, episode that's going to come out is actually going to be four episodes because I did an interview with a health coach and it was just so awesome. But we're talking about how women's bodies change, how there's pressures that are put on women, but then we'll also talk about how um, men don't have a place to talk about body image issues. They don't. And so That's so it, true. It was, so we talk about a lot of different things, but it's all centered around how can we bring that back to faith and personal beliefs? Because those personal beliefs that we have influence how we're going to behave, right? So you can sit there with somebody and if they have the personal belief of being a vegan and wanting to make sure that, that animals are protected and respected, then counseling that person as a vegan, as opposed to counseling someone that's a vegan because they saw somebody on Instagram do it is going to be two different approaches. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with our religious beliefs is that if you're fasting for religious reasons, that's going to be different than intermittent fasting. Sure. Or if you feel like you don't have anybody that understands where you are, but you feel like you can pray to a God who does, then having that personal conversation with that deity can be helpful for you to make personal conversations and personal decisions in order to make the changes that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And so my podcast is, is talking about food and the culture and the science of nutrition, but through the lens of faith. Which is, you know, and I think, I think that's why I like your podcast because there's just not a lot, again, not a lot of safe places. Cause I think once you throw faith into something, people right. like back away. They're like, Whoa, Nope, not going to, I don't want to be a part of that conversation. Faith and politics are, you know, just touchy, but I think it's great that you're embracing that part of it because it is a huge part of a lot of people's lives. 
It really is. And, and honestly, like food is becoming one of those things that you don't want to talk about either because some people just go crazy with it. True. <laughs> and they, they, they get on, they get on their soapbox of, of food and they're like, you know, that you can't eat this because of that. And especially with Thanksgiving, like there's certain uh, holidays where food and evangelism can go together. Right. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like food is a very personal thing and faith is a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. And once you sit down with somebody and you talk to them about how they perceive food and why they eat what they eat, like maybe it's after every phone conversation they have with their mom, they're like, you know what? I'm going to go out and get myself a tub of cookies and cream because I can't deal with her anymore. And she always stresses me out and makes me feel bad. Like that's a very personal thing. Just like, you know, on Sundays we have family dinners because we all go to church together and then we come home and we have funeral potatoes and we have green bean casserole (laughs) and we have like beans and rice and collard greens that are cooked in fat back. Yes. Yes. So are you trying to separate the religion? Are you trying to set the food like apart are you trying to separate the food behaviors like you can't because that is who that person is and it's and like i think that just like you said you know going to church then coming back and having dinner that's just programmed so you don't even really think about that kind of stuff or maybe you don't really think about having that tub of ice cream after you talk to your mom because she drives you right like it is just something it's a cause and effect i think And so then how do you approach that person that goes to church and then comes home and has their Sunday meal? And you know, Aunt Hilda is the best at making that coconut upside down cake, right? So like that is part of like who they are. Mm -hmm. So do you approach it and tell them, look, you're not going to be able to have Sunday dinner anymore. Or like you have to approach that from the whole person perspective. Mm-hmm. But we wish that we could just say, well, just make healthier choices and eat more fruits and vegetables when you're there. But maybe there aren't fruits and vegetables. And so having the courage to bring fruits and vegetables or to make a healthier choice in that situation can be a lot. I think that's great that you're addressing that because you're right. I and I, I do some education with some kids too. And it's talking about inclusion, it's not just inclusion of like, you know, like you said, skin color or things like that. It's also like some people don't eat fruits and vegetables. It's just never been part of their, their background right. or their behavior, you know? So it's having that discussion of not everybody's going to know what an apple is because they maybe have never had that in their home. Sure. So how, and that's could be because of beliefs. It could be because of just culture. It could be just how their families did it. And so it is a huge part of people and their wellness journey. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I like that you, that, that kind of gives me a different perspective too, of where you come from on your podcast and how you choose your topics and your discussion that you have. Now I, I understand it better. So that's good. So I'll, I'll listen to it in a different way too. Awesome. And and the thing is, is that yes, it is the Latter-day Saint nutritionist. And so members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, might have a different perspective on it. But the bigger thing is that it focuses on beliefs and how those beliefs develop a culture and influence how we behave. And that's perfect. Some people look at it and they're like, well, I'm I don't go to that church and that's totally fine. You don't have to go to a church in order to understand that belief influences behavior. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be a Latter-day Saint to listen to your podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> and the other thing is too that like so to move into the book that I'm that's yes. coming out in December is so the book is called The Creation Code and it's based on the stages of change model using pre-contemplation contemplation, you know, action or preparation action and then maintenance and putting that through the lens of the seven days of creation of the world. So again, using faith and using counseling techniques or using understanding that counselors or practitioners that are helping someone to make changes will use to help people to progress to the next step. So you go through the creation and you see that there's steps that happen. There's planning that occurs. There are fruits that you are looking for, and then you have multiplying and replenishing. So that's what you want to happen with someone when they set goals too, right? Because you have a plan, you follow through with a plan, you have expectations that are going to occur whenever you reach that goal, whether that's weight loss or whether it's cooking more fruits and vegetables, but you have those things. And then hopefully you get to the point where on day seven, you can rest and maintain that creation or that new behavior that you have created. That's awesome. And so That's I, interesting. And so I like it, it's a general general principle. And I think the best compliment I got about this book is I've had um, some friends read it and they don't ascribe to any faith. And she said, I love this book and I don't go to church. I, I'm not a very, uh, like a faith based person, mm-hmm. but it's not preachy. It's very much just, look, this is like one way that you can approach making changes in your life that are going to be enjoyable and sustainable. And it doesn't just have to do with going to the gym more, but it has to also do with changing your thought behaviors or your thoughts and your behaviors. That's, I think that's a great approach and taking it, like giving yourself and having the guidance, I think like, in seven days, you can do things to get towards a goal and then you can do it again the next seven days and keep working and having it be a work in progress. Sure. And it's not necessarily limited just to seven days because, I mean, putting those, if you focus on that, it all happened in seven days, that's fine. If you think that it was more of a creative period where it took thousands of years or Mm -hmm. just an evolutionary process, again, there still had to be steps that were taken in order to get to where we are now. Sure. Well, and not- where we are now is not the end point because we're going to continue to go other places. Sure. Well, and just to view yourself as a work in progress. I mean, right. yeah. I mean, just maybe changing your mindset that way too. Interesting. I'm excited to read this. And it comes, so it's coming out in December. This is going to air after it comes out, but when does it come out in December? It'll come out December 1st. Okay. Very good. Kind of a great time of year too. That's what I'm hoping because it'll catch people that are about to make new year's resolutions Mm -hmm. because they want to make changes. And if they follow a faith, then at that time, like that's the reason for the season. A lot of times people like to say, and so bringing in beliefs and faith into the changes that you are planning on making can help it to be a, a more personal and a more sustainable change Mm -hmm. because it's not just some prescribed change where you're like, well, I saw in good housekeeping or (laughs) I saw, I I saw in men's health that there's this water diet and this detox and this cleanse that I should do. But the other thing that I approach is having 
a long-term perspective for short-term goals. Interesting. Interesting. And it's much better than the idea of a resolution or just starting, you know, just making empty kind of promises. I think it's more like a progression and like a working project on yourself. Right. And I get to the point in the, in the book and through the, the stages of change where it's like, you know what you get here and are the fruits that you have created the ones that you thought you were going to get. And are the, is it bad if it's not like maybe, maybe you wanted to lose weight, but instead of losing weight, you've maybe have changed your muscle mass composition. And so your, your body looks a little different. Your clothes fit a little differently. Is that wrong? No, it's just different. Right. And a lot of times people get really discouraged whenever they set their goals because they don't manifest themselves. The the results aren't what they thought they were going to be. Not that they were wrong. They're just different. And so is that bad or is it good? It's just part of the journey. And that's how you kind of write, kind of wrote the book to kind of help people feel more confident in that part of the journey. Right. That's what we need. That's what we need in this world. Don't you think? I mean, that's why you wrote it. So obviously that's what you think. (laughs) (laughs) I think we need more of that, more being gentle with each other and ourselves and, and knowing it's okay to be gentle on yourself. Yeah. And I think, so here's the other thing too, is I don't know if you like music, Mm -hmm. Love um, it. but I, I love music and growing up, I played a whole lot of different instruments and like wrote different things, but there's um there's an artist named Ben Folds or Ben Folds Five. Yeah. Okay. Love and he that. is a very solid musician. From like from a musician standpoint. And there's a lot of videos that you can look at where he'll show you how he creates music. Hmm. And I think that's kind of what I want to do in terms of nutrition is pull back like what is it that we are doing as dietitians to help people to make changes. So they don't have to rely on someone else to make that change, not to replace dietitians, but to help them to understand that what we're doing is X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C. You know, so this is how we're getting to that point. And in the future, this is how you can continue to make healthy changes. This is how you can make your own music. Interesting. Yeah. Like empowering people. Right. And so not replacing that just guiding them. Well, I think that's great. And I think, again, when you put power into a person to do that themselves, that's going to be more lasting too. Right. Because they believe they can do it and they don't Mm -hmm. have to like call you up and say, well, I saw this can of beans, which is a good can of beans. (laughs) That's so... And there are those people in the world, obviously, but I think there's more people that are taking control or want to take control, which is why you have kids wanting to take your class about their own personal health and their own personal nutrition and, and really learning as much as they can about themselves. Right. Yeah. Well, that's great. I love that you're doing all this stuff. This is exciting. And I hope that um, you like are getting a lot of joy out of it as well. Yeah. I'm really excited. I mean, I will tell you that being a dietitian and writing a book, like the writing part's okay. The publishing part is still okay. Like knowing how to market and advertise and like all of those things with the book, I'm, I'm not a business expert. Sure. And so that's, that's an interesting side of things. So you're kind of navigating that whole scene right now. Yeah. <laughs> Did you self publish? 
Yeah. So I'll be self-publishing, publishing this. Um, okay. There are, are a couple of different publishers that I've looked into in terms of once this has come out, um, I can submit it to them and see what they think about it. But mm-hmm. it, like in the end, I wanted to be able to get this book out because I thought it was important. And I think that a lot of people will get a lot of good out of it. Um, but the publishers that I looked at were like, well, we'll wait like a year. It might take a little bit of time to review things and get all that out. And, and I didn't want to have to do that. You're like, I don't want to wait. <laughs> well, I mean, I just think that if there's a way to get it out right now, why not? Mm-hmm. And then we can publish it through a bigger publisher later. If, if that's sure. what is going to be beneficial. I think that's a good message for anyone that's thinking of maybe writing a book as a dietitian. Don't wait. Like you said, if you feel passionate about it, you should just do it. Well, and it was the same thing with my podcast is I, I I had thought about this podcast probably for two or three months before I really put anything out because I was like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know (laughs) if how well this would be received. I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, And so the first episode was okay. I mean, it wasn't magical, but it it wasn't like, and it wasn't perfect. And it's still not perfect because again, going back to the message of the book and the message that we tell our patients and our clients is that it's all progress. Mm -hmm. It's about progress, not perfection. So true. It's about the marathon. Not, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Or a triathlon. (laughs) Or, yeah, or, Iron a <laughs> or an Ironman or a century bike ride. Yes. Yes. But that's, I think that's great that you have just taken the leap and you've done it. And like you said, it's, it's a work in progress, but that just, it just keeps getting better. And like you just did four episodes, you know, with one person that you've interviewed and it was fantastic. And those are the things that make you feel good about putting that content out there. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the other thing too, that I've come to, to look at. Um, and I, I don't know how this will come out, but I, I recently passed over like 3000 listeners to this podcast and like, we're recording it in November, but when it comes out, it'll be higher than that. Hopefully. Right. But whenever I did the math, I've had more people listen to each of my individual podcasts than I'm teaching this entire semester. Really? Now that's an interesting yeah. statistic. Yeah. Right. And so like, I have more people choosing to listen to this podcast that want to learn. Right. So it's an, it's an avenue where people are coming to you to learn. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in higher education, like I can only accept so many students at a time and some of them are only there for the credits, but then they like, like being there later during the semester. Sure. But with a podcast, and with a book, you have people that are seeking out the information that you have. And, and one motivation was, I think there's a lot of bad information out there. And as a dietitian, I wanted to provide accurate information that wasn't fear-mongering or scaring people out of having healthy behaviors or being afraid of the food and afraid of their plate. Like, I wanted to empower those individuals. And I feel like it's, it's moving in that direction where people are finding it because they want to. So if you're looking to start a podcast, do it. If you're looking to write a book, do it. There's no reason not to. Because there's a want, there's a need. People, if you have a voice in any way, people are going to, they're going to seek you out. And I think that's a really great thing to say. Because I, don't you feel like, I feel like books and like podcasts, as someone that's been through college, I feel like sometimes I learn more from that than I did even sometimes in college classes. Sure. And, and part of it is the desire that you have to be there. Mm-hmm. 
Right. You have the patient that comes in because their wife told them they had to. And then you have the patient that comes in because they want to be there. Huge difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Huge. Just like, the, like you said with your students, there's ones that have to be there and there's ones that are there for, on purpose. And then there's ones that eventually like to be there. <laughs> Well, and I'll, I'll tell you this. So I had, I've had a couple of students who have not done so well in the class and I've had to retake. Mm. And, and I think that like the time that they retake it, they're going to know everything because it's, I mean, it's, it's similar. Um, but they're, they'll be going through the semester and they're like, Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. That's crazy. I'm like, I told you that four months ago. <laughs> Where but, were you? <laughs> but at the same time, I had a student who was homeless and was an adult student, had type two diabetes and had a kid living with her that was autistic and like an adult, right? So she's homeless. Her adult autistic son is homeless with her and she's got type two diabetes and she brought her A1C from 10.6 to 6.9. Wow. And and that's, I'm not saying that's about me. I'm saying like she wanted to know that information and because the information was provided in a way that she could understand it, she made health changes that are going to impact her for the rest of her life. Holy moly. But then again, I have the students that show up to the next class or that have to retake the class and didn't learn anything the first time. <laughs> yeah. But again, that it's a true testament of you have to understand where people are on their wellness journey. So right. they're all at different stages and hopefully you can catch them when they're ready and they're open for it. Completely. And that's where your book comes in. That's where your podcast comes in. And that's where those kind of things are going to help people that are ready. Yeah. And and the other thing I'll say too about podcasts and books is that um, I think a lot of times as dietitians and just as individuals, we get really worried about how we might be stepping on someone else's toes Mm -hmm. or how the market is already taken because there's other dietitians that are doing but it's a really supportive place where a lot of dietitians are there to help each other out. And, and that's with books and with podcasts because they're like, I didn't know this. I had no idea. So I'm happy to help. And what is this knowledge going to help me if I don't tell someone else? Um, it's kind of, <laughs> it's, it's like whenever somebody has a baby and then they don't have any more kids, but whenever their friend gets pregnant, they're like, let me tell you everything I've learned because this is the only <laughs> opportunity I have to share this knowledge that I have. <laughs> that is kind of true. But I think, I think that's great that you're, because I do, I know that there's probably some judgy, judgy feelings in our profession sometimes or that sure. what else different do I have to say that someone hasn't already said or, but I, I think that whole like, I know that if someone reached out to you today, you would do everything you possibly could to help them start a podcast or talk to them about writing a book. And we need to or keep put them in the direction of resources yes. that, that they don't know how to search for them or that they're even out there. That's true. Did you reach out to people to help you or did you kind of navigate it on your own? Um, it was, it was both. Right. So I, I think one of the things that I do is I'll kind of like search everything that I can. And then I'm like, Oh, well, what about this? And I ask one person and then I open this door and I'm like, I didn't know that I could pull that curtain back. Okay, cool. I didn't know that that was there. And now mm-hmm. there's a lot more information that is available to me. But at the same time, I try to reach out because you can kick against the pricks for a long time trying to find information. <laughs> when if totally. you just ask one person one time, they have the answer and it's like two seconds. 
Like, okay, well, that would have spent, made me spend like six hours trying to find this. Mm-hmm. So I think there's value in both of those because you don't want to just go to somebody and be like, tell me everything about what? Like, what do you want to know? All of mm-hmm. it. About All what? of it. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> so reach out. Reach out to others. If you kind of, if they're on your radar as someone that might know something a little bit more than you is good. But then also doing right. your own research is good too. And the worst they can say is no. Right. You know? Oh, well. <laughs> I've, reached, I've reached out to people and they're like, yeah, I can't help you. That's not my area of what I am working to do right now, which I completely understand and respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. But at least they know who I am. And whenever I approach them before, I can say, hey, you remember me? I did this, this, and this. And it's still a networking opportunity. Absolutely. And I feel like I, our, our profession is very much about networking. And it's kind of just about putting yourself out there and just meeting each other and, and supporting each other if you can. Right. Well, I think all the things that you're doing, I will definitely link your podcast. And when your book comes out, will be linked in the show notes of this podcast. And I will also help promote it because I'm very much excited to read your book and to see how I could even use that in my own practice with maybe some Thank of my you. I, Yeah. I really appreciate that. And I think that... Um, sometimes people forget that like we have to support one another. I'm not like plugging, Hey, everybody buy my book. I'm just saying, right. <laughs> um, we, we have people that we support, but there's this thing that came out and I, and you might've saw it whenever I shared it online is the, the support small business type thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whenever you buy from a big corporation, nobody jigs, but whenever you buy from a, an, an individual, that like, this is like very important to that one person. They do a little jig. So mm-hmm. make somebody jig. <laughs> I love like, that. I love that's, that. That's pretty funny yes. because we can do that as dietitians for, for any number of people. Not necessarily you just have, you can only buy local or only buy small business, but support people that are, are trying because that's what really matters. Mm-hmm. It does. And I think also just, there's just so many different ways we can practice. And so maybe you have a client that could benefit from what a diet, another dietitian is doing. And so I'm always open to whatever I can do to help somebody. Maybe your book will be the perfect fit for one of my clients. And they'll be like, Oh yes, Zach has this book and this is the perfect person that would help that it would help. Right. And it just comes back to you. I had a, a, A mother contacted me the other day. Her daughter is in high school and is playing volleyball. And they think that she may have an eating disorder. And so I spoke with them. And there were some things where I was like, you know what? This is a little bit out of my scope. Mm -hmm. I would be more than happy to help. But I think she would be better served by this dietitian. Mm -hmm. And so I called that dietitian and referred him. And she was like, thank you so much. And, And if I can and she's ready, then I will like pass her along back to you. And I'm like, that's fine. But either way, like I just want that patient to be best served. Yes, absolutely. So let's get and as so many if that, resources as possible. Right. And and going into this a little more, like you don't have to pay money to support somebody. No. Like yeah. this podcast, leaving a review and taking three minutes to write a review goes a long way in helping others to find this podcast. And the same with the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist. Those little things, whether it's on Amazon or iTunes or Facebook, just writing a review for somebody you know does good work allows other people to recognize that they do good work. Mm-hmm. And you're right. That does go a long way. So 
go out and review, listen to the Latter-day Saint podcast and review it. Same way. Is your book going to be on Amazon as well? Yeah, it'll be on Amazon. Awesome. Awesome. And your, do you, in your own personal, you have a website as well. Yeah, I have the Cordell, it's CordellNutrition.com. And then the podcast is the Latter-day Saint Nutritionist. And I have Facebook and Instagram on those as well. Okay. I will link all of that for you today because you, and I, I have to say, if you have not listened to his podcast, I love your wit and I love, I just love how you, how you talk and just how you give out information. It's just entertaining and intelligent and funny and all in the same thing. So you do such Thank a Thank you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I enjoy it very much. So yeah. Well, I've asked you a lot of hard questions today. Do you want some harder questions? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Will you share with me some of your favorite foods or things that you enjoy to eat? Okay. So we're talking turkey here right now, right? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so I like tapioca pudding. Really? That would probably be one of my favorites. <laughs> That is the first time I've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> But I also, I think it's like a texture thing because I've also, I also like chia pudding or like chia oh, yeah. seeds in the yogurt. Yes. Um, so th that texture is good. Um, also, let's see, what other like favorite foods would I have? My wife makes some mean chicken and a mean mac and cheese. Mm, now those are good. Tapioca pudding. Yes. I might have to give that another whirl. I can't say the last time I had tapioca pudding, but if you're not a texture person, you might not appreciate it. I feel like it's one of those things where it's like people love it or hate it sure, because sure. they just don't enjoy it. And the texture is gross to them and that's okay. Yeah. There are other things they can eat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we live in America, <laughs> right? You, you have your choice. Yes. <laughs> Whether I like it or not, it's your choice. <laughs> Um, okay, so other hard, other foods that are my favorite foods. Yeah, anything else that you... Do you have a favorite beverage or something that you like to drink? Um, like a, a water is like, honestly, like where it's the go-to. If we're going with like a, a non-water choice, on like special occasion, occasions, root beer. Mm, I love root you know? beer. Root beer is delicious. Right? It is. Now, recently I was listening to a food scientist and they were talking about how the the taste of root beer is the same thing as mint and vanilla. Really? And like I they're in the same family? That, but, kind of yeah, ish? Like, yeah. So if you think about it, like, yeah, there is like the little mint bite to it, mm -hmm. but then there's the vanilla sweetness. It's like, yeah, that's dead on that's probably why i like it because i love mint and i love vanilla too so hmm. there you go mysteries of the universe solved <laughs> i learned well i've learned a lot today but that is <laughs> no i i'm sure i'll i'll be regurgitating that information to someone in the near future <laughs> sure yeah it's one of those little like trivial things yes. where, like, did you know <laughs> uh do you have a favorite scent or a smell hmm favorite scent or smell <laughs> I know. Kind of an odd question, but well, I, the the first thing that comes to mind is growing up and being a teenager. Um, like Bath and Body Works was huge, right? Oh yeah. And it's uh, it's kind of plateaued a little bit. It's not as big as it once was. But my friends would always joke about cucumber melon. <laughs> I remember that scent, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe cucumber melon. 
Um, but I like, and I guess this goes back to the root beer, but like the different earthy mints that are out there, um, like lemon mint, mm-hmm. whenever, if you've ever smelled that plant, it's just like crisp and clean. Mm-hmm. I do but then like I really that. like the smell of fresh cut grass. Oh, you do. That's an interesting smell. Yeah. I'm going to go do yeah. that today when I'm done with you. I got to go. There, there you go. Cut some grass and pick up leaves. So I'll think of you when I'm doing that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite color or colors? Yes, that one's very simple. Orange, because it's the best color. It's the best color. Why is it the best yeah. color? And, the, and, and it's not because I live in Florida. It's not because of the <laughs> University of Florida. Maybe. It's not because of Clemson or Tennessee. Like, it might be fighting words for some people. <laughs> but just because orange, like, you can make it dark and mysterious, like a rusty orange. Mm. Or you can make it crazy, like a neon orange. Right? So there's a lot of versatility with that one color. Interesting. What a very interesting way of viewing orange. Now I'm looking at like around my house and I'm looking at all the different colors of orange in my house. I have a lot of them. That's interesting. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can get like, you can get deep with the orange you can. or you can go pretty surface level where you like can't even look at it. It's like it's blinding. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you're looking at probably at an orange screen right now too with our yeah. podcasting. <laughs> exactly. And I want you to share with me what brings you joy. Hmm. My savior, because of faith, um, my family, both those who have come before me, like my parents, because they're just amazing. Um, I know that I've talked a lot about my dad and how he had renal failure and diabetes, Mm -hmm. but he was such an amazing person and being able to go through dialysis and still have a positive outlook and a humble and grateful spirit about him. It's like very, very much a, um, a wise individual that I can look up to. And then my family, my wife now, again, I know I talked about her having diabetes, but she is one of the, the, the strongest and, and biggest fighters that I know. And being able to have twin girls um, along with having diabetes, like that's a, that's a big thing. And so my family brings me joy. Um, my faith brings me joy. And then being on a bike and just feeling the wind in your face that brings me joy because you're doing it by your own power. Whenever you ride your bike somewhere and you get there and you're a little bit sweaty, but you know what? You got there by your own free will and choice and by your own body that you have been given. Like it's just fun. And you're a kid again. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. It is. All of those things are amazing. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of this with me. I really appreciate it. More than happy. I think that that was a that was a good question that I needed to answer today. Good. Well, good. I always feel like there's joy in every day, and sometimes we just forget where it is. We just have to find it. Yeah, I mean, you get caught up in the the hugabaloo of what's going on, 
I don't know if I used Hugabaloo correctly there. <laughs> I sure, absolutely. <laughs> but but just like it's always good to reflect. It is both with with us as dietitians and with our patients to again like see like what is it that you want, what is it that you're good at, what is it that you're scared of, and why is it that you're going to succeed. All good questions that we should answer. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. This has been awesome. Good. I'm so glad. And thank you for all you're doing for our profession, too. I think you're a pretty, pretty amazing person and an amazing dietitian. So thank you. Thanks. Isn't Zach just amazing? I hope he and I have many more conversations in the future, and I definitely want to meet him in real life. I enjoy listening to his podcast each month, and I really recommend that you do as well. You don't have to be a member of the Latter-day Saint community to get something from his podcast. And it's exactly why I enjoy his perspective and discussions that he has. I'm looking forward to digging into his book as well. Make sure you get one for yourself, which is linked in the show notes of the podcast. My website, annelizabethardy.com, is where you can read the latest post in my Nutrition Nauseous blog. That is the home to the diary of my life, including my hell yeah happenings, adventures, food I am noshing on, my music inspiration, and what I'm loving right now. You will find all my previous podcasts, show notes, and links to things we talked about during all my conversations with these inspiring humans. My book is also available to purchase on my website, and I hope we can connect more by joining forces on social media by finding me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest at AnnaElizabethRD. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.